Welcome to Redemption Hill podcast. For more information about Redemption Hill, go to redemptionshill.com. Luke 1:39 starts this way. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judea. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, my baby in my, or the baby in my womb leapt for joy and Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of a servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud uh, in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her for about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we ask that you would draw near to us through your word. Uh, When you speak, we want to listen. So would you speak to our hearts? Holy Spirit, come. Let us see the beauty that is found in this. Let us see the worship that is found in this. Uh, And would you create that and stir that in our own hearts. You are good and you are kind and you are mighty to save, Lord. May we see that, Lord. Thank you for being a good father. Jesus, thank you for being a mighty king. I pray that in your name. So one year when I was in college, I decided to come home and go hunting with my with my dad, and we got all of our clothes ready the night before, and we got all our, our gear packed and our stuff in the truck, and like we were, we had everything ready to, to go, and then we turned in for the night. I was that type of the fun anxious before something you're looking forward to that night. I was excited about getting into the woods. I was excited about time with my dad. I was excited that maybe, just maybe, the biggest buck that ever existed would walk right up to me and and let me take him, right? I was just excited about all the opportunity of what was coming. And apparently I was so excited that I dreamed in the night that my dad had come to woke me up. And I shot out of bed and I got fully dressed. If you've ever gone hunting or know anything about it. That's not a, a, a slow endeavor. I mean, long johns and layers. And, and I got it all on and I was ready. And I went in and, and, I, and I found my dad laying with the lights out, covered up in bed. I was like, what are you doing, old man? Like, come on, let, let's go. Let's do this. It's time. Stop messing around, pops. Let, let's, let's go. And, and he kind of like turned over and, and said something to the effect of, boy, what are you doing? It's two in the morning. Go to bed. And I looked at a clock and realized it, in fact, was not time to get up. So I went back to bed. It was my younger years when you could actually do something like that and then go back to sleep. That wouldn't happen now. Uh, And we got a pretty good laugh the next day when we realized what had happened, that I had dreamed up the whole thing. But my point in this is excitement makes you do just funny and interesting things at times. 
uh, in my house, Ali and Judah have a tell when they are excited. They just get really excited and they, and they talk a lot out of their excitement. And I'll kind of look at them and I'll be like, that was a lot of words that you just said. And, and they'll just kind of laugh. I'm like, what? I'm excited. And it, it's endearing and, it, and it's cute. And Abel, when, when he's excited, which might surprise you, he's actually really affectionate. Right, the, the, the kind of rage hall kid is like, I want to hug you and I want to lean into you and I just love you so much. He just, he just gets worked up and I've got to enjoy that while it lasts because I don't imagine when he's 18, he's still going to do that. But, but it's fun when he gets excited. I don't know what Asher will do. I, I would bet he'll be in Judah and Ali's camp. If I had any indication of what he does when he's excited, I'd say it's what he does all the time. He'd probably ask for a snack, but I, I don't know exactly what his move will be. But my, my point that I'm drawing from is excitement is a, is a fun thing. It makes us do interesting things. And as the text kicks off today, that's kind of what we see from Mary. This level of excitement uh, came. If you remember in last week's text, Mary was visited by the angel Gabriel, and she was told that she, as a virgin, would bear a child, and the child's name would be Jesus. And their names meant something. Jesus means God saves or the salvation of the Lord. And the angel tells her, the son that you will bear will be the son of the Most High, meaning the son of God the Father. He will be God's son and he will step on to the, the, the kingdom and the throne of David and he'll reign forevermore. And on top of that, Mary was told that her, her auntie Elizabeth, who was barren, who, who seemed way too old to have a kid and she'd kind of given up on it, she actually was going to have a baby as well. Mary takes all this and she meets these, uh, this incredible news with with a level of kind of matching incredible faith. She says, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your will, God. We met the, the reality that the, the words of God and the will of God were gonna walk her into some hard situations. To be a girl from a small town and walk out and be like, an angel told me I was gonna have a baby, but I was never gonna do the deed. It's just gonna happen. Probably hard days were coming for her. And even things for, for Jesus, at least I know who my dad is. Like there's some stuff that was coming that she was going to have to walk through. And even realizing she fully understood, she wasn't a sheepish girl who didn't get it. She knew what was coming and she still said, I know who I am. I am your servant and you are my, my father. I will trust you no matter what you bring. And then Mary got up and it says with haste, with excitement, with, with some vigor, she flies to her aunt Elizabeth's house, metaphorically, walks fast. And that's where the author Luke zooms into the story. This young girl, uh, barely a teen, most likely she convinces her parents that she needs to make the journey 80 to 100 miles to the hill country to visit Elizabeth. This is, this is a three to four day walk. This is not a light deal. This is a long journey that she was going to take all to make her way over to uh, Elizabeth an excitement to go see her. Now, we, we need to understand that she's not going for like a, a tell or proof. She's not going like, let me see if that angel's lying. Let, let me see if this is all real. She's going to, to enjoy, cherish the moment and the reality of what is happening to both of them through the words of God. So she's excited and she goes. I'll take a, a, a quick second to maybe step aside with us and and talk a little bit about how we preach, and you'll, you'll catch the reason why. We, we preach exegetically, which means that we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse, section by section, and we ask what the Lord has to, to say. Right? The, the word is the, is, the, is the word of God. The Bible is the word of God. And we open that up and say, hey, what do your words have to say for us? How do we listen to them? How do we hear what you've said to us so that our hearts may be transformed by, by your words in the way that you have 
intended. That means that we don't skip around the Bible to, to kind of take texts to, to origami, mold them to make the point that we want. Instead, we kind of slowly pilgrimage through the word and say, what do you want to say to us? That's different. How can I make you say what I want versus how do I hear what you want to say? That, that's the way that we go about things, and that's convictional for us. God has seen fit to write through his word to his people, and his word is fully capable of speaking into, even right now, even thousands of years later, in modern times, all things that we face or see or walk through or need clarity, the word is sufficient. This is why the church for years has, has claimed solo scriptura. It is the word that we need, and it is the word that informs well, today we enter a text that speaks into a little bit of a fiery topic of our day. And I want to be extremely like, intellectually honest with you. This is by no means the main point, right? Uh, what we're going to talk about in some degree, the author didn't go, this is the only thing I want talked about in that text. It really, the reality is different. The, actual, uh, the author actually talks about something that, that goes in parallel or bumps into uh, the, the topic of life, personhood, and abortion. And because of that, we've, gotta, we've just got to kind of wade into it. A little bit. And, and I lay that out not apologetically. I'm not trying to like sheepishly walk through and ask for your, your forgiveness ahead of time, but I more say that to, to help you understand, hey, I didn't have a conversation this week or see a Facebook post or, or read some sort of tweet that made me go, I want to talk about abortion. No, we just, we hit a text that, that kind of bumps into it and in faithfulness, we're going to wade into it after it and go, hey, Lord, how would you speak into this and how can I hear you? The best way that we can lead is just to follow the text and where it goes and then understand there's other way uh, bigger and more beautiful things as well that it wants to say and we want to follow it there as well. So we'll hit that in a second, but I just want to remind you of uh, when we hit a topic, we're just going to dive into it as faithfully as we can. So I'm not sure how your mind works uh, or if it works the way that mine does, but these words in the text, they unfold like a movie. I just, I just, I see it, right? Uh, if, if you picture Mary travels all the, the way from Nazareth to the hill country of Judea, this, this, this long journey, 80 to 100 miles, and all of a sudden she just appears in the, the doorway of Zachariah and, and Elizabeth's house. And mind you, uh, Elizabeth up to this point had been kind of silent for like five-ish months about the baby that was in her belly. She was just keeping it between her and, and Zachariah and God that after all those years of heartache and suffering and pain and prayer and lament and hope, all of that had happened and now all of a sudden the Lord had given her a child. She'd likely been preparing for uh, the, the, the child, maybe picturing what it would be like to actually hold him. He's big enough that she's probably feeling him move around and she's like, hey, I'm gonna get to hold him and be able to, to look at him in the, the eyes. Maybe she's kind of getting the house ready and, and if she's kind of jacked up like I am, I would imagine that maybe she would do some fun stuff like Zachariah, just tell me if you want me to make dinner. Oh, I guess you're gonna do it. And then like sit back and relax because he's still mute because he didn't respond well before, right? Like it had, to be, it had to be just epic for her in those times. I get to just bask in the Lord's love and you can't say anything and this is a gift to me. Thank you, God, right? Just the, the, the love of God has washed over her for quite some time. And then on top of like five to six months of the love of God just washing over her heart, he's seen me, he has cared for me. And then Mary steps into the doorway. 
right? Keep in mind, she didn't call ahead. There was no like, hey, auntie, I'm coming, right? There's no, there's no text. There is no like Instagram story reel where she's like hashtagging like fish lips or duck lips. Like, oh, look at me as she's like going through the countryside. She had no idea that she's coming. And then all of a sudden she just pops into the doorway and she greets Elizabeth in a dramatic fashion. And when Elizabeth heard the voice, before she can get a word out in return, before she can return the greeting, before she could say anything, the text says the baby in her womb leapt for joy. The baby vaulted, leapt, jumped in her belly. The words used here in the, in the original language would be like a lamb in, in a field. If you've ever seen like a, a baby animal or a young animal like, like prancing around in joy and like leaping up, this is the type of like gait or jump or vault of excitement that it says that John the Baptist has in her belly, joyful. This is kind of charged with significance and meaning and purpose. The, the word for, for leapt for joy does not mean that Elizabeth felt the baby turn at the same time. It was like, ooh, that's interesting. And it, it doesn't mean that she felt a, a kick or had that like gas bubble transfer from one side to the other. It was like, ooh, like it was nothing like that. She felt the baby leap. And mind you, who's writing this? Luke, a doctor. He's not some dense dude who has no idea anything going on. This is a doctor who's writing that the baby, John the Baptist, the same one that verse 15 says would be filled with the Holy Spirit in the the womb, filled with the very Spirit of God Most High in the womb, cannot contain his excitement because the Spirit shows him that the Savior and the King has come near, and he jumps. Jesus has come to him. Jesus has come to earth and John the Baptist can't sit still. He cannot contain his kind of explosive excitement. The king has come. Why would a baby do this? Well, the baby, John, was going to be a prophet. He was going to, remember, prepare the way. He was the, the forerunner who was going to announce and get people ready uh, for Jesus. And in the womb, about six months along, he has what we'll kind of call his first prophecy, so to speak. Jesus is here, and it's a big deal, and it's caught through a leap in the, in the belly. His ministry of excitement for Christ had come, and it started really fleshing itself out before he even exited the womb. The Holy Spirit stirred him. The king has come. Do not miss this Enjoy The fetus, before it had seen the light of day, expresses the emotion of joy as he jumps, leaps, vaults in excitement that Jesus, the King of kings, the Son of God, has come near. The one who has come to seek and save the lost had come to do the seeking and the saving, and he leaps. When looking over the, the text, we see just as plain and clear as we can, evidence that the Bible makes at least these couple connections. The word of God breathed out to to teach and correct and reprove and, and train up in righteousness speaks of the baby John as a person, not a possible person. As an actual full human being with emotional capacity. And then hear this, not only emotional capacity, but the capacity to be filled with the spirit. The ability to have a calling and a purpose and a humanity and a name. John was six months, maybe a pound and a half, maybe nine inches long. And yet he has his own DNA, his own heartbeat, his own emotions, his own infilling of the spirit, his own salvation. He's not just a clump of cells that if you leave him alone may become a human. He's a human, full human. He just hadn't exited into the light yet. 
we find ourselves in an ocean full of discussions over abortion. And I want to like just slow down and tell you, hey, my goal isn't to like mic drop or like yell at other people or anything like that in this. We just want to speak about what's here, right? And we're in this ocean of war over abortion where people try and ignore the fact that abortion is killing a baby. It is killing something that is an actual human. It's not just a lump of something. It is a human. And we play these just really weird games to try and get around the fact that, that it is killing something. It's killing a person. Where the, in the weird game is, is we try and decide, okay, when does the, the fetus become a, a human? Like, when is it, right? That's, that's the game. Is it, is it a couple days? Is it, is it a week? Is it a, a, a month? Is it this trimester? Is it, when you, is it when you could get the 3D little sonogram and be like, it looks like a human and not an alien? Like, what is the point that it becomes a human being? And that's the fight. And again, Again, the reason this fight happens is people are trying to justify in their hearts and their mind that they're not killing a human. And the Bible says an unborn child is a child of God created in the image of God worthy of dignity and protection. They can have purpose and the spirit and they can have emotional capacity. I mean, I, I remember even when, when, when uh, Allie was pregnant with Judah and she would play the guitar, us kind of laughing, Judah would, and you can decide, well, it's just science and other stuff. Judah would like lean into the guitar every time and, and, that, and that kid just freaks out about music to this day. Even in the womb, he's like, I love that, right? A child in the womb is a child. What troubles me is that some professing believers, it seems because of the weight of culture, maybe their personal preference, what they've done is, is they've kind of shut their Bible in order to keep an opinion that, that, that abortion and pro-choice and killing a baby is a viable option in light of the word of God and the reality of God. They believe that maybe their preferred landing spot on a social issue supersedes what the Bible has to say on the matter or their desire to walk out a system of freedom of choice uh, has maybe actually become the God that they worship over the actual God of the Bible. Their opinion has tried to silence or ignore God, but this is what I want, so this is, must be what's right. And you, what I just want to show you is you have to shut your Bible to do that. You have to say that the Bible doesn't get to speak into what I want here in order to do that. If this is where you land, my, my hope for you today is just this, that you would see that the word of God is not silent about this. For some, maybe you just actually did think that the Bible didn't say anything about it and it was just those guys who, who claimed that it did and tried to beat people with the Bible. Maybe it's the first time that you see, hey, the Bible actually does have something to say here. And my hope is just that your views would align with the word of God after that. That's all, that, that you would see that God has spoke into this and I will defer to you because you are my king instead of trying to get you to, to, to align with what I want, I want to align myself to what you say. And maybe you're tempted to throw out the, the charge, well, I used to like your preaching, but you're just getting political. And a, a, a couple different things, I used to make really not smart statements like that. And then I realized all of life is political. Like polis, where it comes from, it's the organization of people and how we deal with the world around us. Everything's actually political. And, and then I would tell you, I also didn't tell you who to vote for. So, so the charge of you're just being political, I'll easily just kind of like slip that jab. But my aim isn't to return like a, a right hook of my own. My, my aim is just to say, family, the, the hope is that we would be formed by the word. We want to be a people of God. If we're considered psychotic in the world or crazy or backwoods, so be it. I just want to be a people who's formed by the word of God. 
I don't want to, to fight everyone. I don't want to yell at everyone, but I don't want to miss what God has to say about the issues that are big in our culture. And I don't want the volume of the culture to be louder than the volume of the word of God before us and how we kind of create our decisions about what we do and, and how we view it. Again, I'm, not, I'm trying to shape how you vote. Like I've been really honest. I really dislike all of them. Uh, I'm just saying this issue, God has something to say about it. And I hope that we'd see that. And then maybe if I can try and put on the, the shepherd hat, it, if you've had an abortion, I'd just say to you clearly, it's not the unpardonable sin. It's a big deal. It's a really big deal. But my goal is to shame you or crush you. It's just on con- the contrary to say, hey, there's room at the foot of the cross for you right next to me and everyone else. It's just an issue that, that, that we should ask for help and forgiveness and grace in and hopefully align our views to what the word has to say. There's so much grace and mercy for all who ask of it, even in light of this issue. And if people have told you that there's no grace and mercy in light of this, man, I'm just sorry for that. There, There is. We want to walk unapologetically into a worldview formed by God. I will trust you even in the things that you say, even at times if I don't like them, you are my God and you are my king and I will submit to you. Okay, we jump out fully. We're done with that talk and into the the other sides of the text. Jumping back into the main points of the text, we see that the baby, John the Baptist, jumps for joy immediately after seeing Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. So we heard already uh, in verse 15 that John the Baptist was going to be filled with the Spirit. And then Elizabeth, immediately when the king comes and Mary shows up, She's filled with the Holy Spirit. And the result of this infilling is a loud declaration of joy and worship. The Spirit infilling leads to joy and worship from her. And she says to Mary, blessed are you among women to carry the king, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. This is where you're saying, that king in there, oh, there's so much blessing and what's going to happen through that. Now see the, the meanings of the words. Uh, Elizabeth, when filled with the Holy Spirit, sees for the first time what all who are saved are meant to see. Those who come into contact with or are connected to Jesus, when they see Jesus has come to them, they're, they're meant to see what a blessing this is. Blessing beyond measure. Oh, that you would come to me? Man, I know my heart. And I know what I've done. I know my motives. I know the things that I think that I don't say. I know the things that I've done that no one sees. And the king has come to, to me. Oh, what a blessing this is. Elizabeth says in verse 43, why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord, the key words aren't mother, the key words there are my Lord. What a blessing that my Lord should come to me. There's a statement of humility in the middle of her worship here. This is a statement of all. It's a question of why. Why would I get this? Why? Why? Why would you come to, to me? Why, why would you draw near to me? Why, why would you? And we're always, we're in a meritocracy. So we're always trying to decide, what did I do to deserve this? And the reality is you did nothing. You can't deserve it. And yet he has come. Why would you come? Why would you come to me? The Lord has come near to her through Mary, the mother of God. Her Lord has come. She's confessing with her mouth, largely as well, this awe and this blessing but the loud declaration of her heart in this moment that the early church held to constantly is Jesus is Lord. Why would my Lord come to me? This is a major declaration. Notice she's not saying, why would, she's not declaring Jesus is my friend. 
Jesus is my buddy. Jesus is my companion. Jesus is just savior. Jesus is my wish granter. No, no, no. It's Jesus is Lord. My, my Lord, my king, my ruler has come. I don't know why, but he has. She sees him first as Lord. And with that worshipful revelation comes this ocean of awe in her heart. Why would the Lord come to me? Why would I get that? Blessing Again, she's noticing and realizing and recognizing and, and stating with her mouth the grace of God in this section. God has good plans to give unmerited favor to even sinful and wicked children and draw them into his family. To open their eyes to see Jesus as Lord and King and open their hearts to see what a big blessing of beauty and unmerited favor this is. She's just struck by it. Man, the magnificence of you coming, and I see you as the Lord and King, and I deserve nothing. I, I don't know why you would come to me. Worship and awe come out of her in that point. This is a statement only wrought by the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us in, uh, I believe it is Romans, no one can say Jesus is Lord and, and mean it with the core of their being without the Holy Spirit giving them the ability to do so. The Spirit has come, awoken her to the reality, shown her the picture of who Jesus is, and now she declares it in awe and worship. Why do we make a big deal in praying before service and in our time of response and in what we do, Spirit, come Show us Jesus. Holy Spirit, do your work in our heart because we need the, the constant reshaping and in, in, in the, the realignment of our gaze that only the Spirit can give us to who Jesus is. So we're going to always say, Spirit, come. We want your gifts. We want only what you can do. We want you to be our, our encourager and paraclete, but we want you to show us Jesus more clearly and more fully. Show us not the Jesus that I want there to be. Show me the Lord who actually is. And she's just worshiping in light as you've shown me the Lord and King. Then after Elizabeth's declaration of faith, Mary declares through her song her own declaration of faith. The next ver er, verses of, are what are, are called the, the, the Magnificat of, of Mary, which is a fancy way of saying the, 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 the magnification of God for Mary. What is she doing? She's magnifying God the Father. She's extolling, glorifying, rejoicing, worshiping, lifting high God through this song. And it's a beautiful and powerful song that she sings out. This is rich in theology. A lot of people have gone through the Bible and they've actually been surprised. How did this young girl put together all of this? And she heard from in the temple and the spirit had given her the ability and all of a sudden just clicks who God is. But this is her song, and, and just listen to, the, listen to the like motion forward as she's singing. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant, and now, uh, from now on, on all generations, I will be called blessed. For God, who is mighty, has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Mighty, great, holy. This is an epic song that she busts into here. And she's pulling from themes all over the, the Old Testament to engage what we need to see as her whole being, her whole body, her whole self. When, when, when she mentions that her soul magnifies the Lord and her spirit rejoices in God, what she's showing you with an Old Testament theological lens is with all that I am and everything that I am and my whole being and my whole self, everything, my whole portion, I lean in and I exalt God. There's nothing that I'm holding back. I give 
everything to you in worship. This is the opposite of half-hearted worship, which the Bible condemns all over the place. Giving the, the, the Lord of all your words, but, but keeping your heart back, or, or giving him halfway worship, or lazy, lackadaisical worship. She goes, I am all in, no lip service, full send, full commitment. I give you everything. Why? Because you've done something I could never do. You're worthy of it. She even weaves into her song the why. We, we could do a whole side vent of like why we do songs the way that we do, but she weaves in the heart and character of God into her worship over her heart, right? Why is she worshiping this way? Because God looked upon her. A young girl from a no-name town, no cool resume, no big redeeming things, who, who the world would see is she's got nothing to offer the king, and yet she's chosen by God to carry and raise the king of kings, and even more than that, she sees this, that the baby inside of her is going to save her. Can you wrap your mind around that type of faith to believe the promises of God for that? The baby which I'm bearing and I'm going to keep alive will be my salvation and God sought it fit to be that way. Man, this is, this is amazing faith. And then she says it, I rejoice in God my Savior. That she, a humble servant, needed saving all along. Guys, this is the only place that our hearts find awe in God. When you think, man, he did a little bit for me and I'm like super excited about it. Then your worship is gonna reflect that. I needed saving and God has saved me and there's nothing else that I could have done. And he has sent the savior down. I get to carry the savior and the savior is actually will save me. He has done a great thing by sending the savior. God is mighty and he is holy. There's no one else like him. No, there's nobody else who has the resume to pull this together. And she walks out as kind of cliche as it gets used sometimes in, in the world. She walks out a, a true form of worship where she looks past just the gift and she connects the gift with the heart of the giver, God. She sees how big of a blessing that she is given and it leads her heart to lift up and glorify God. She sees the gift of salvation as actually a, a mirror into or a microcosm of the, the heart of the giver, God the Father. So she worships God the Father, not just because he has saved her, but she worships God the Father because of who he is to actually want to save her. Your character and your person and who you are. This is where the you are holy, set apart. What's that mean? You are not like me, right? If I was creator and I wired all this, I would destroy all of you. She knows that. We would do that. You're not like me. You're holy and you're kind and you're good. So she would declare in God's character who he is. God, you are savior. God, you are mighty. God, you are holy. And this is just the first stanza of this song. There's a part when I was thinking in the office. So we come from different paths and different backgrounds and different um, maybe worship that we've seen. One of the hopes that, that I have for us, and we'll kind of dig into this a little bit more as we go, is that the Lord will transform our worship because we are made to worship. And there's a part of us that holds back our worshiping to our detriment. I'm not telling you you like need to scream. Like I hate tambourines, so I'm not telling you to like grab one and shake it to show you're serious. You don't need to like sprint around in circles. That's 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 not at all what what I mean. But in the middle of a heart of worship, where the Spirit begins to show you who Jesus is, there are times where you begin to maybe not look at the words and just declare to God who He is. 
you're good, you're mighty, you're savior, you're God with us, you're holy, you're true. This is what she's doing. She's just, man, I just can't help it. I'm going to lay out some theology and I'm going to praise you for who you are. And I'm going to sing some theology and I'm going to praise you for who you are. That would be the hope. That's not just like what some people do. It's a freedom of the heart. I am so fully immersed in you. I'm just going to declare who you are. You are good. And the weird part is for some of us, that's terrifying to do. And there's actually deep joy because you're connected to the Father in that way when you do it. So then she shifts and the song zooms out to a wider field of view. What does that mean? God hasn't just been mighty to reach out and save her. She has the theological chops to understand God's mercy is being extended to all who fear him. Like the baby in her belly will be the savior of all who fear God. It's being extended in this mercy. It's not just for her generation or her people or her family or, or, or a small period of time. For, for, it's, it's for all who fear God from generation to generation. In verse 54 and 55, she's showing that she understands and is connecting the, the mercy of God as the extension of his faithfulness. And she gets all of a sudden, all of your promise throughout all of scripture and all of the Old Testament, they, they've always actually been about Jesus. She, she understands and sees every promise you've never forgotten any of them and the way that you were going to pull them all off was always Jesus and the Jesus is here you have woven your savior throughout scripture all along and he's here Jesus is again what does his name mean the salvation of God she's like oh my gosh not just me all who fear you and you are so faithful you're so good And she lists out some of the beautiful ways that God is kind to those who fear him. He says, he shows them mercy. This is God shows mercy to those, again, who, what, they don't don't deserve it. I show mercy to whom I I show mercy, not mercy to the ones who who are deserving of mercy. And he goes, she goes uh, even further than than that. Uh, He he also, God, exalts those who, who, who are beaten down. And he fills up those who are spiritually hungry, that yearning that we have inside spiritually in our soul that only God can kind of fill up and, and meet the need. She's going, you fill up that need that we have. You lift up the broken. You, you, you give mercy to those who fear you. You fill up those who are empty. And those who are spiritually needy, you give them an inheritance that they don't deserve. She's, she's seeing that God is turning upside down the kingdom of the world with the kingdom of God. Jesus is inaugurating what, what we call a, a whole new kingdom and a whole new thing. And he's going, hey, the way the world works, I'm going to turn that upside down and it's going to make some people mad and it's going to be amazing. See, in the sinful world, fearful people get crushed, don't they? They get run over. They get hurt. Proud people tend to be exalted and, and revered and, and, and respected. And the mighty seem to crush it and rule and get what they want. And the rich people get out of anything and they get everything that they could ever want. And yet Mary sings that God is going to flip this upside down. Those who don't fear God, they are not going to get his mercy. Those who are not humbled, you will be crushed by the wrath of God and you will be humbled. Those who thought they were mighty will be brought low. Those who are rich will be sent away like a poor beggar. Those who thought they were full will be emptied out. Mary is rejoicing and praising God. And her song touches on his love and mercy, but then hear me. Then it also touches on his wrath and his judgment. Why again? 
She's worshiping God, not for who we want him to be. She's worshiping God for his full character and love and wrath and mercy and judgment are all a part of who he is. This is a a rejoicing in his full character that he brings salvation to the lowly that fear him. And he brings wrath against those who refuse to fear him. She's singing that God will set right one day all things and fix what is broken through this savior who is coming. See, this part of the song, it may be hard to connect with that Mary is rejoicing in wrath. You're like, is that, is that jacked up? Like, I don't understand. Like, that she's like excited that, that, that God will, will, will one day judge and unleash his wrath on those who don't fear him and those who have rejected him. But she's singing about the full restoration of all things. When you and I look around the world and, and we see grievous injustice and we see greed and wrath and murder and corruption in a vast ocean of things that inside of us, we're just like, it shouldn't be that way. It's just, it's messed up. She's speaking into and crying out about this. When we feel that evil is winning and thriving and this place is jacked up and broken, Mary is singing out and declaring loud praise and worship that that all has an end date. It will expire. Jesus, who is Lord, will not only save those who are lost, he, as the mighty king, will come and all the madness will stop. And he'll put it all back in line and put it all back together. But God can only undo the brokenness that happened in Genesis in the fall and in the garden when sin is destroyed and the serpent is crushed. We get this in Genesis 3. We get the, the proto-evangelium, the, the, the first uh, evangelistic view of the gospel where, where sin comes in. God comes after the people and says, you don't understand, I'm gonna send someone and it's gonna bruise their heel, but they're gonna crush the head of the serpent, which is sin and brokenness and evil. See, salvation comes through Jesus, but it only gets kind of fully fleshed out and revealed all the way when the Savior comes back and destroys his enemies chief of these being sin, which rule those who don't fear him. He's going, she's rejoicing fully. Oh, that you've done this. And one day, all the madness is going to be put back together in you. I'm not rejoicing that people are getting crushed. I'm rejoicing that the craziness will one day end and you will reign. And we won't go, what is happening one day? Because the king will put it back together. Mary has amazing theological chops right here. What has been set in motion of the baby growing in her belly is more than good news for one or two people. It's the fullness of the salvation of God to all who fear God through Jesus and are reconciled to him. And I'll also get the promise of one day I'll wipe every tear away and I'll fix everything that has been upended. I'll put it back together. So we'll step back for a moment and to try to kind of figure out, okay, how do we land this? What do we do? I, I think there's some major moves in this text that we just need to be aware of and ask the, the Holy Spirit, hey, how would, you, how would you tweak those or put those in, in my mind or heart? The, the major moves or maybe the major themes are, are this salvation sees Jesus as Lord. This is the first part. Anyone who does not see him as Lord and King and say, I will follow you, doesn't actually know him. Salvation is the declaration, you are Lord. And we see this from Elizabeth. She doesn't see Jesus as the one who will come and, and, and fix all of her needs and make all of her dreams come true and do all the things that she's wanted. She sees Jesus in a way that Jesus actually is the one who will reshape her hopes, not make her hopes come true. And this isn't bad news. This is glorious news. It's the chief declaration of the early church, Jesus, your Lord. 
you're preeminent, you're king, you're in charge. I will see everything in light of how you tell me to see it and I will fall in line behind you because you are mighty and you're good and you're Lord and you're savior and not I. Again, salvation sees Jesus as Lord. The second one is salvation sees clearly that grace is involved. This is the awe that, that, that Elizabeth exhibits that, that why would you save me? Oh, that you would come and send Jesus to me. And you see the beauty from Elizabeth and Mary both when their hearts realized by the spirit that Jesus has come to them. There's just this, I, I don't understand why it is so good that leads to worship that you would see fit to come and rescue us is amazing. It is beyond measure of goodness that I can't even wrap my head fully around. Salvation sees Jesus as Lord. Salvation sees grace as involved. And third, salvation is receiving with great joy and rejoicing the whole thing. The thing we talked about a little bit earlier this, this, this morning, if it's true, because we always have to decide, are we full of it or not? If it's true, there's only kind of one way to receive this. Right? right? When I got all of your like best amen response when you mentioned the Chiefs last week, how did you freak out when they won? Right? Because like, I didn't think they deserved to win. Like, I thought they were going to lose. I bet you guys lost your mind. Everyone will forget about that game in just a matter of time. This is infinitely greater. And look at how you rejoice over that. There's something wrong with the way that we respond to what God has done. Okay? And so the reality this is showing you is the mercy given that if you were really dead in your sin, if you have been filled up when you were empty, if you have been given much when you had nothing, if you were spiritually dead and you've been brought to life, if those realities are true and felt in and walked in, how could you not praise God for that? How could you not be thankful? And how is it that we do this? And I've done it and we have to kind of repent and walk out of it. How do we give half-hearted worship to the king who's done all of that? So Mary just loudly declares, you've been good to us. And she sings with her full self. And what does she offer to us? The invitation, come join me. Hey, if other things got too big, put them down. Worship God. Lean into him. See him for who he is. Worship him as good. Other things have eclipsed your view. Holy Spirit, come and show me what Jesus has done. Let me, let me worship again the God who has done so much. I said it last week. Mary is not the object that we put our faith in. She most definitely is an amazing example that we should follow in faith. Right? She's inviting us to, to this type of awe and joy. And that, that's the hope is that we would see that. The Holy Spirit would bring maybe a fuller view of what God has done. And it would create that kind of awe in us. I, I believe that the Lord has been reshaping our worship over the last couple months I don't know if you've paid attention to this. If even the, the, the way that we've worshiped and the times that we've lingered, I think what the, what, what the Spirit is, is trying to do in that. Uh, my, my hope is that he would continue this so that we begin to magnify and extol and see, and maybe from a deeper place, we're like, man, I, you're, you're just good. You're gracious. You're kind. This is, this is who you are. Let me see it more and more. Why do I look at other stuff all the time? Let me see you. And again, I want to make sure that we're not emotionally manipulating. Like, I don't have a preferred result, and I don't want people to fake emotionalism, but I would say that I, I do wonder if the Spirit maybe for a while has just gone like, hey, why do you hold so much back? Why, why, why do you do that? Like, why, why, why do other things excite you so much more? Again, I'm not asking you to scream and run in circles. That'd probably be kind of weird. But why, why do you... 
why, why does your worship just kind of act like you just kind of keep the lid on it a little bit? And I don't only mean worship and song. Like, worship comes out as well for like, worship comes out in how we do mission in our neighborhood. Worship is what you do when you have a busy week and you decide to open the Bible and go, I need to see you again because I'm way too distracted. Right? Worship is, is what happens in song. Worship is what happens in confession. Worship is what happens in missional community, but it most definitely is what happens when we sing loudly and we praise. I do think that the Spirit of God is going, hey, come on, trust me. Trust me just, just a little bit. Praise me with just a little bit more of your heart. You know you, know you want to. Let me, let me show you Jesus and, and declare who he is. And there's times where I believe that we think that this type of worship is a personality trait, and that's where we just need to clear up. We're demanded to worship. It's a command of God. Not of Redemption's Hill or a certain denomination. Like, God tells the people constantly to worship. And, and part of the connection of, of that is, is we need to understand worship is not what certain people do who like to sing. We worship not because we like the song choice or, or because we came in with a good mood or we got enough sleep. We worship because God is worthy of our worship. And he commands that we worship, not because he's capricious or mean. He knows that our hearts are rewired when we keep connecting to him in worship. So he demands over and over and over for, for us to do it. So maybe for the guy who likes to do this and not sing, you're being disobedient and your heart probably feels the implications of it. Sing and see that he's good and see him just kind of rewire some stuff in there. So we'll move into worship. Just maybe the questions to to ponder. I'm, I'm leery of trying to give too much application, but do you see Jesus as Lord today? Do you see him as king, leader, savior? Is he, is, is he leading in the dance? Or are you wanting him to follow? And then just re- respond accordingly. Here's the honest side that we need to admit. There's many times that we take over and repentance and faith and worship looks like going, hey, I did it again. We help me trust you. You're a better leader than I am. Right? Is, is he Lord now? And maybe ask, what what would the Holy Spirit be asking of you as far as joyful response to God? In in song here, in mission here, I I, I begin to wonder if it's seasons where where mission feels dry and faith feels dead, if it's because we just kind of capped the lid on worship. How do you declare to your neighbor God is good and actually mean it? And it doesn't sound like a sales pitch just because you think he's good. And you only get that as you begin to worship him more and more. Is he Lord to you? What would the Spirit say to you concerning your worship? And the continual invitation in as well is if, if you've not leaned into God, if, if you're not following Jesus and the, the Lord has been just kind of drawing you, I just continue to say, hey, what are you waiting on? If you're waiting for a level of perfection or understanding, the good news is all we have to do in order to, to, to be able to get in is be really jacked up so you don't have to get anywhere to get there. You just have to say, God, will you save me? And, and then he will. And then it will rewire your heart and begin to give you new hopes and dreams and see him as king and it'll be good. Man, you guys can come back up. We'll close in worship and we'll take communion. As we look at this and ask for the spirit to show us who Jesus is, the table is the perfect place to have part of that. 1 Corinthians 11 says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and we had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he also took the cup after supper saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's, uh, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Every week as we come and we take, we're remembering what God has done. We're remembering the sacrifice that has been given. We're remembering the mercy. It is you and you alone and always you. So we, the hope is that you would come to the table and take the bread and dip it into the cup and just once again hear deep in your soul, it is you and has always been you. You've done something great. Thank you for your mercy extended to me. And that your heart would rejoice in worship and gratitude because God has done something good. At any time, you can come up and worship and take. We don't ask that you be a member here, just that your faith be in Jesus. Friends, my hope in dealing with this type of text is, is not to, to grab a certain response out of you. It's just say, hey, Holy Spirit, what would you want? To, what, would you want? what does faithfulness look like? What does trust look like in you? And, and maybe, maybe our hearts would find joy in that place as well. Maybe we just lean into that question and see what God would have to say to us. Would you stand with me?